welcome to Animation One-to-Ones from Squiggly.com. I'm Steve Henderson, and on today's episode, we talk to Cartoon Saloon's Nora Toomey, the Oscar-nominated director of The Breadwinner, who joins us to discuss her latest film, My Father's Dragon. The feature tells the tale of Elmer, a young boy whose world is burst wide open when he discovers that his mother doesn't have all the answers. Through an act of kindness, Elmer is propelled into an adventure which leads him to Boris, a clumsy young dragon charged with saving Wild Island. Elmer and Boris have to work together to save the island in an adventure which will take them through more than they could possibly have expected. It's difficult to praise Cartoon Saloon enough, and in My Father's Dragon, we see Nora Toomey return to share an adaptation of a young person thrust into a situation which they have no control over. But, unlike the breadwinner, we see our main character enter a fantastical world full of colourful characters and conflicting dynamics, which lead the drama and the excitement. And it's all presented with incredible art direction and that timeless magic which has become the studio's trademark. You can watch the film now on Netflix, and Squiggly was delighted to speak with Nora Toomey in this animation one-to-one. Congratulations on a fantastic film. Um, I don't think Cartoon Saloon would know how to make a bad film uh, if you if you tried. It's <laughs> it's another wonderful film to come uh, out of out of the studio. So congratulations! You must be feeling very uh, hopefully that you and the team will be feeling very accomplished right now. Uh, thank you very much, Steve. I mean, we we do we pour our hearts into everything that we do, and we 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 like do our absolute best and the great thing about working in cartoon saloon is that you get to work with so many talented people there were over 300 people working on my father's dragon about 150 of those are artists whose hand you either you know see uh, or you feel on the screen with the character animation the effects animation or the like the acrylic strokes in the in the backgrounds um uh, there uh, yeah so many great great people uh, over <laughs> Over what, five years, I guess, from when we started the the, the screenplay. Um, so, like, that's the thing. Like, you know, if, if you're going to animate something, it takes so long, and it's it's a it's a difficult process. You better you better mean it. <laughs> and that's all we do. We really, you know, I I don't think you can approach anything like um, wondering is it going to be good or bad. You have to really be brave and just try and do uh, imagine your audience, imagine what it is you know in yourself that you you have to you have to say and just really try and connect with those those elements as much as you can and, and and help your team do the same. I don't think the book is very well known in the UK. So I wonder what attracted you to the story of Elmer and his dragon. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with Ruth's book um, either. I, um, I was first approached, I think back in uh, 2012 by Julie Lynn, who's an amazing uh, producer. She had just finished a live action film called Albert Nobbs in Ireland and it was just um showing at the uh Dublin uh the uh, film festival and um she asked to meet uh us myself and Paul uh went up to Dublin to meet uh Julie uh she had read the book as a as a child and had gone on with her husband to read the book to their children Meg Lafauve who's their, their screenwriter on, on My Father's Dragon who I, I hadn't met at the time um also read the book as a child and went on to read uh, the book to her children as did her writing partner uh, John Morgan and so um when i met julie i i read the book on the way up um i think i was on the train or something but was obviously not driving if i if i if i read the book on the way to dublin from kilkenny but she 
I, there was a particular page in the book that I actually found it hard to kind of move beyond because it was uh, Elmer, who's the main character, was giving this saucer of milk to a cat. His mom got really angry with him. And um, for me, that was really, uh, I just started <laughs> to really set my mind off and I started to kind of imagine what was between the lines in that page, like what's going on in, in Elmer's mom's life that a saucer of milk is is a big deal and what's going on with Elmer that uh, when he looks up into his mom's face and sees probably somebody doesn't recognize, sees this flash of anger, Elmer, you know, I got the sense that Elmer, you know, was, was a kid who was getting a little bit older and beginning to realize that adults don't have it all figured out. They don't know the answer to everything that actually life is really scary that you're not, you know, the, the, the ground that you think is solid underneath you might not be solid at all. Um, and I, I then I, that's, you know, made me start to remember things from my own childhood where I had that feeling. Um, and it also helped me remember friendship from childhood being something that felt like it's the center of the universe. There's something about friendships you have when you're around 10, 11, 12 um, that really do feel like that. Like if you're lucky to have like a best friend at that age, that that other person gets you like nobody else does, like your parents don't get you anymore. Um, you don't have, like I said, you don't really know what's around the corner, but you know that your friend can help you just walk around that corner, you know? Um, and so I just, I, I was really thrilled with the potential in Ruth's book for the screen. We didn't really want to do a straight adaptation, but rather something that was inspired um, by the book um, because we wanted to spend a lot of time on Wild Island. You know, those first conversations with Meg and John and Julie were all about how can we make sure that Wild Island feels like a character as well? How can, um, you know, how can we spend as much time as possible in that friendship between Elmer and Boris? Like, how can we explore those kind of coming of age themes uh, in a way that's kind of uh, refreshing, but is also really digging down back into our own childhoods? And so that was that kind of became the uh the 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 this the the start of everything. I went to visit Ruth um, Ruth Stelzganet in her uh, home in upstate New York. She's ninety nine now, but several years ago I went to to visit her just to um to ask her what it was about Elmer that she really felt that was kind of surviving through generations and was continually kind of you know a, a family favorite. And for her it was that Elmer Elmer was like autonomous. You know he was somebody who was resourceful and could really follow the truth no matter like what that cost or what that cost him and so that was that was the kind of approach we took with the film as well so you, you describe keeping elmer very mortal in the film he's in this kind of fantastic environment with all these fantastic characters and as with your uh, previous feature the breadwinner you tend to explore a loss of innocence and a, a steep learning curve for children that have to adapt to worlds that they don't have control over. And you've mentioned that with the saucer of milk and the, the flash of anger in the mother's eyes. Maybe we could explore that a little bit further. What what attracted you to, is, is this what attracts you to, to these stories? Uh, absolutely. Just, you know, I, I, I'm not really... I, I don't think I'll ever do something where like, you know, it's pure magic as in like the, the protagonist has magic powers that, you know, kind of thing, blow everything out of the water or or they have super strength or anything like that. Those kind of stories don't really attract me. And it, it, again, this goes back to like Ruth's um, uh, Elmer in that he's really mortal. He's an, an ordinary kid. Um, and therefore that that 
I think as as an audience member, it helps a little bit more when when it's you're not like measuring yourself to something that's super fantastic or anything like that. He's, he's just a he's just a kid. So yes, with our animators, we were at pains to make sure that they never you know dropped him from a height that like, you know like he should bounce or whatever you know kind of thing that you'd imagine you know that that uh, something like that. We wanted to hold on to his mortality. It's not just children, though, in terms of like how I kind of connected with it. And I think it's really important as a filmmaker not to talk down to 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 children. Um, I I mean, I'm I'm, you know, frequently challenged by things where the, the world is not the way I thought it was. If I look back even over the last couple of years, you know, it, it, the world is not what I, I thought it was, that there are things there that I have no control over. And all I have to do and all I can do is try and navigate my way through it um uh, as best i can uh, and you know be uh, generous with with people around me that's um that's the approach kind of elmer takes but i i don't think it's it's um it's particular to children it's not like you learn that stuff once and then that's it and then you're kind of like life is okay after that it's a continual pattern of 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 discovery and of you know cycles of you know there are times in our lives when we're afraid there are times in our lives where we have to be brave in ways that we didn't that you know that that aren't you know what what you expect when you think of bravery you know um elmer's um bravery has to do with you know admitting vulnerability and and uh it has to do with being generous to somebody else or for somebody else so these are you know those are things that i think doesn't matter what age you are there's there you know that story is there to be explored and 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 it's something that um that connects, I think, no matter what age you were. Uh, well, I, I certainly can connected with the idea of being on an unstable island controlled by people with uh, very fragile <laughs> egos. Um, <laughs> but um, sorry. <laughs> There's some lovely work uh, done with uh, colour in the film, and it's a large part of uh, signalling emotion, safety, support. Can you tell us more about the visual design of the film, the visual language of the film? Yeah, it was interesting with it. You know, our, our first conversations with uh, Meg, our, our, our screenwriter, she was very much um, encouraging us to think of Elmer's arc as a character and the the entire film and the, the entire plot as one and the same kind of thing. And that, you know... Um, so so everything that we did on Wild Island in particular kind of mirrors uh, Elmer's uh, Elmer's emotional arc. So um there the 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 city of Nevergreen is very oppressive and you know kind of gray because it's how Elmer perceives it. When we get to Wild Island, we have all of these um kind of fantastical uh, locations uh, and I wanted to make sure that there was an a, a enough of a sense of depth in those locations where we could both hang on to the, this wonderful art direction from Anya McGuinness uh, and our, our production designer, Rosa Baez-Arcabo, but also that there was a sense of um, immersion there, you know, because putting the audience in the center of the adventure is something that I really, really wanted to do. Um, we did things when we were initially kind of looking at what way the film needed to look in order for Elmer to have a kind of a satisfying arc in the film, um, we we both looked at the uh, original gorgeous illustrations from the book, but also uh, children's imagination. So we we um, asked the children in our lives to draw um, the characters from the book, and they did things in ways that I, I wouldn't have really thought of. So, for example, the tigers are are quite menacing and threatening, 
and therefore like the, the children would draw the head of the tiger really really big because that's the most threatening part the teeth you know and uh, and the, these big flashing eyes and so that's what we did we started to really imagine that you know the ground doesn't need to be brown the grass doesn't need to be green you know the trees don't need to look like trees we could really just let our imaginations uh, go wild there's kind of like a you know themes of chaos and order in the in the film or you know um, randomness and predictability and so that's how you know the the, the style of how that island looks uh, very much you know is is led by the emotional arc of uh, Elmer and of of Boris the fact that Boris is like a stripy you know blue and yellow dragon on that island as well we really wanted to make sure that he kind of you know belong to that you know so so see so his design is very much influenced by the by the book but we wanted to make sure that he didn't look too much like a kind of a fish out of water or a dragon out of, off his island or whatever uh you know w- with how he looks and because he's deeply connected to that island um and so we wanted to make sure that 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 kind of played out well um the characters on the island are all camouflaged in their in their homes so each of each one belongs to its own environment and each one almost completely blends in with their environment if they want to. And then how that changes throughout the film as the environment uh, changes, as the island begins to sink and all of those animals feel scared and feel exposed and, and aren't safe anymore. Um, the fact that the island became like a, a literal kind of ticking clock in the, in the film um, was something that we really, uh, really leaned into from a, um, a visual and storytelling perspective. And that really goes back into that keeping Elmer mortal. So when it comes to points where there's there's peril, you really feel the peril. You really feel the the jeopardy as well. Absolutely. That's the, that's the the thing with animation is that sometimes you can, if you forget that your bunch of lines that you're moving around the page are are a, like a, like is a character with. Um, thoughts and feelings and mortality and is a representation of part of the audience on the screen if you forget that um, you know depending on the tone of your film but you know in, in certainly things like the breadwinner and in my father's dragon if you forget that for one moment that there's you know that there are veins and blood you know kind of thing underneath those those lines um, then uh, it then then you you lose it and you lose your audience every single one of our animators absolutely believe that each line that they're drawing is representing a character with you know a, a brain and, and feelings and emotions so your uh, feature films so far have been adaptations um you talked to me about the page that you read which which drew you to the story of my father's dragon are you attracted to the challenges of adapting and translating stories from the page to the screen is it something that you would find more satisfying than sitting down and, and and writing a story from scratch. Um, I guess I have been um, so far. I'm really affected by everything I read and you know every painting I, I look at it. I'm really uh, affected by things. So oftentimes I get very carried away, and then that becomes you know the the the, the passion underneath. You know the or the lights the fire underneath the project um, because you do need to be passionately engaged with whatever project that you go forward with because it does take such a long time and because you have to um you know work with with such a, a a large amount of people making sure that they all um have their passions ignited as well uh, is something that's really really important uh, when when making a a film 
And so um, I, I have been attracted to uh, adaptations, I guess, in, in some shape or form. I don't know if that's going to be the the, the future for me, though. I mean, I, I really literally just do follow the passion and it's not really a, a, an intellectual or a conscious decision on, on my part. So I don't really know what the what the future holds. I'm looking forward to taking a little, a little bit of a break after this. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. Um, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I follow character and and story where wherever it, it comes from. It's more than just a literal translation as well. You said uh, your presentation at the Annecy Film Festival that you challenge yourself more than any other story you've ever done with three drafts of the script and countless animatics. You said that you had to earn everybody's work to the point. Where, you know, what point do you know that the story is right to be to be animated to, yeah. to go out there? It was there was many more drafts than that actually than uh, of the screenplay and animation. Then of course is such um it's not like live action where you you write your script you shoot you might improvise and then you pull it together again, uh in in the edit with animation you write your screenplay you begin to draw your animatic you edit that or you know uh, your storyboard you edit that then you do it again then you discover that you've got you know um, issues with the writing you go back into screenplay so there there is a, like a good year and a half or two years of uh, that work, uh, just making sure that the story is really solid at that point. You're not really that worried about how things look or like the beauty of the drawings or anything like that. You you really are just, it's a big working um, document, that that animatic. Um, I'm really conscious having, you know, animated myself and, you know, um, uh, that that it's, it's such a labor intensive um a craft it's uh it, it can take an animator a, a week to animate four seconds of a performance if you don't earn that i mean i have absolute respect for the artists on our, our team our technicians and our coordinators everybody who helps kind of put everything that we have onto the screen everybody who helps every you know um uh, you know the, uh, get it there and so uh, you you absolutely have to earn it. There's no point in having really beautiful animation if you don't believe what the character is saying, or if the story at that point hasn't really, um, you know, brought you to a place where you're you're uh, where where you forget you're watching a film. You know that, that you really have to at least do your best. I mean, you might fail or it might you might stumble, but at least it's an honest stumble if you if you if you believe it 100 percent because your actor is also you can't go into a recording session with someone like Ian McShane or Ruby Goldberg or um you know Rita Moreno and say can you say these lines and not know what it is that's going on in those the, the characters lives um that that make them want to say that um that you can't you know you wouldn't you're not able to allow your animators the freedom to improvise around their character or to go with how they feel about the character if you can't if if they don't believe it, you know, and if you don't believe it, uh, then then no one else is going to believe it. And I'm also really, really respectful of just the 90 minutes that you're asking an audience to watch a film like that. Um, it, it, you know, you, you can't you can't ask for that amount of time from their life if you don't actually have something to, to say. And if you don't have something that might help them connect with something that's going on in their own lives. So um, that's that's why. I have such respect for uh, for the medium and just trying to put the you know be be as truthful as you can, but as uh, passionate about as we can about the stories that we're telling. Uh, well, Nora Toomey, thank you very much for talking to Squiggly today, and congratulations on My Father's Dragon. Thank you, Steve. Thanks very much. 
Thanks for joining us for this squiggly animation one-to-one. You can watch these interviews on our YouTube channel or subscribe to us via your favourite podcast provider. We are a free podcast, so if you'd like to support us, you can do so by leaving a very nice review and by recommending the podcast to a friend. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can financially support the show by scrolling down to the bottom of the Squiggly homepage and clicking the Support Us link. All proceeds help us do the work we do across the site. Thanks again for joining us, and don't forget for all the latest news, reviews, interviews, and everything else from the world of animation, head over to squiggly.com.